Hi, I'm Samantha, a past guest on CJAM's HandyLink. You're listening to HandyLink on CJAM 99.1 FM, reaching high ground in Windsor, Detroit. to HandyLink, sponsored by the Italian-Canadian Handy Capable Association, an organization that provides recreational and athletic opportunities for individuals with disabilities in Windsor-Essex. For more information, check out ICHA on Facebook. I'm your host, Cam Wells. In this segment of our show, Tina Finelli and Jessica Lewis will be giving us an update on the Paramazing Women's Circle. So, so the last time you were on, you were telling me a little bit about some of the early work of the Paramazing Circle. Can you tell me a little bit about how things have progressed since then? Absolutely. Um, I'm, uh, I'm Tina Finelli. I'm one of the co-founders of See What She Can Do. And we were thrilled to co-host our last... A workshop with um, Jessica Lewis and uh, two-time wheelchair Paralympian, she's on our call, uh, Jess Silver, who is um, the uh, an adaptive fitness coach and founder of Flex for Access, um, in collaboration with Parasport Ontario. Um, and it was a really great session because we were able to gather, you know, para-athletes, um, the industry, the sports industry, um, the parasport industry, um, and healthcare professionals to kind of tackle this challenge of getting women with diverse abilities in the game. Um, and, you know, we know that women face a ton of boundaries. We know that, you know, in general, uh, there's a lack of female sports coverage. You know, only 4% of media coverage is mainstream media coverage is for women's sports. We know there's a lack of resources um, and, you know, access to role models. Uh, but that number, I, I mean, I'm sure Jess can weigh in on this, but that inequity is even bigger um, for women with disabilities. In fact, you know, United Nations is quoting a number like 93% of women with disabilities are not involved in sports. So, um, that's a, it's a big number, and you know what we did in this last workshop was talk about how we could create quality experiences um, so that you know para athletes are not having these negative sport experiences. They're not being subjected to abuse and discrimination, and, and really so attracting them and then keeping them in sport. Um, and so it was fun to get you know athletes' perspectives, parent perspectives. Uh, leaders in, in the industry, their perspectives, um, you know, and people are, are going to walk away with a resource kit that, that is being pulled together in collaboration with all the participants, um, and that will be, be sent out this week. Jess, do you want to jump in on your perspective for that session? Yeah, and I, I think um, 
one of the really cool things that we had at the workshop too was um, we partnered with Parasport Ontario um, and they kind of shared some um, you know resources and background information on how Parasport has developed through the years um, mainly in Canada um, so that I think was very very useful to see you know where we started and you know the the progression of where we are now to you know what still needs to be fixed or changed or added. So uh, that brings up an interesting question. What are some of the biggest conclusions that you've drawn? What work still needs to be done in the near future to get women with disabilities in the game? Well, I think one of the big things we talked about was awareness. So what we heard from um, a number of our participants, of the athletes, of, you know, athletes who participated were that, and even some of the caregivers that were there were that, you know, um, hearing at the right time about the right um, opportunities is huge. So whether that means, you know, we had Patrick Ayama, he's um, Nico's dad, he's a caregiver, he talked about how his son... Um, who is now, you know, Paris Brown Ontario's Junior Athlete Ambassador of the Year, he found out about bocce ball from watching TV. He happened to be watching some Paralympic sport, and he, he saw bocce ball, and he was like, well, this is perfect. My son can do this, right? Having that awareness. And then we heard about, you know, Brianna Hennessy, who, you know, who, who um, had an injury, and she said, you know, I wish I would have heard about um, the opportunities that were out there when I was at, you know, when I was at my lowest, because it's empowered her. You know, sport has empowered her to be, you know, to build, to have confidence and to be her best self. Um, so awareness is big, and then a quality sport experience. One of the things that you know we'll be going out in our in our workshop package, our resource kit, is how to create a quality experience. Um, and there's some research that's been uh, created by Canadian Disability Participation, where it's kind of an evidence-informed definition of what that quality experience should look like. You know, there should be belonging. There should be autonomy. They should be able to master, you know, and, and um, the experience and create successes. And um, they should feel appropriately challenged and engaged. And it, it, it should matter, right? It should have meaning. So you know, awareness and quality sport experiences are, are kind of two of the first, so, first bucket of challenges. So... When you mention achievements and challenges, uh, I understand Jess has some rather big news to that end, and uh, yes. she's achieved something great that could uh, set sort of a path for other young aspiring athletes, and uh, no doubt it'll prove a challenge, but one that I'm sure she's prepared for. So if you can tell us a little bit about that, Jess, that'd be great. Sure. Yeah, um, I'm gearing up right now to compete in my third Paralympic Games um, in Tokyo. Um, we leave next month, um, so I'm very, very excited. We're on the final stretch of preparing. Um, I compete in wheelchair track racing, um, so I will be competing in the 100-meter, 400-meter, and 800-meter events um, in the T53 classification, which is um, kind of the grouping that I'm in for uh, racing, which is based on your disability and your functional uh, level. Um, so I'm very, very excited. Um, I do represent Bermuda, which is my my home country, um, but I'm so, so grateful for the support that I get in Canada, and uh, my coach is Canadian, so uh, Canada holds a very, very special place. <laughs> so 
What advice would you give to all the athletes out there who are just getting started and asking, could I ever achieve this level? Is there something out there for my ability set? Uh, yes. Um, I mean, I, I always say that the biggest thing that I think anybody needs to have, whether you're in sport or whatever goal you're trying to achieve, is to just believe in yourself and know that even though you do have a disability, it doesn't mean that you can't be successful, that you can't set goals for yourself, um, and just really believe that there is a sport or any kind of um, arena that you want to get involved in out there for you. Yes, it might take a little bit more, um, you know, determination and gumption to have other people believe believe that, but just know that you can go out there and do it. Yeah, definitely. And um, I think, you know, we need to start listening to, um, you know, female athletes and kind of understanding maybe what their limitations, or not their limitations, their hesitancy uh, is to get involved in sport. Um, and then kind of start from there and, and see, you know, what can we do to help get rid of those those feelings or that fear um, so that, you know, that more women will be encouraged to do it and, and um, you know, show what women are capable of doing and, and hopefully that will start changing, um, you know, the way that media sees it. So one thing I've heard over and over again for people with a newly acquired disability or injury Sport can be really a lifesaver. You keep your mental health in a place where you have something positive to focus on and uh, can just give someone a little hope and direction. Have you ever found this to be the case in terms of any of the athletes you've worked alongside? Yes, definitely. Um, I mean, I, I was born with my disability, um, so I always say, you know, this is just my life, um, and I've never really had the space where I've lost something, um, so this is all that I know, um, whereas a lot of um, the athletes and a few of my teammates uh, that I work with, um, they are an acquired injury, um, and one in particular, um, she was involved in sports um, before her injury happened, um, and then when she was first injured, she kind of just stayed away from sports um, because she was afraid of, you know, how it would feel um versus how it was before her injury. Um, but she slowly started to get more involved in different kinds of sports than what she was uh, previous to her injury. Um, and she just said, you know, she just fell in love again with the sport and um, just kind of introduced her to a whole new group of people that, you know, helped her through those negative emotions and showed her that, um, you know, you can still be successful and you can still, um, or learn, um, you know, even just everyday life tips on um, how to live with, with her disability. So uh, I understand there's another session uh, coming up to further the discussion on uh, getting women in the game and uh, just creating new opportunities. Yeah, so we're really excited on uh, August 25th at 7 p.m. Um, we're going to be partnering with Fair Sport Ontario on Para Network and um, Candice uh, Comden, who is a um, athletics on not athletics Ontario. Sorry, can I start that again? Sure. <laughs> she is. I'm just thinking athletics Ontario, Parasport Ontario athlete. No, she is a. Um, let me just look one second. I think she's a team, team Ontario. She's a team Ontario wheelchair. Ontario. 
That's right. <laughs> Sorry, Kim. It's okay. I'll edit later. Thank you very much. This next interview is a post-dated one, so some of the events referred to may already have passed. In this segment of our show, I'll be chatting with Dina Zuckerberg from My Face. So, can you tell me a little bit about your experiences with My Face? Yes. So, I am the director of family programs at MyFace. Uh, I've been there for the last seven years. I, myself, was born with a cleft lip, a hearing loss in both ears, so I hear nothing on the right and wear a hearing aid on my left and uh, a small left eye, so I have no vision in my left eye. Uh, so, I really came to MyFace to uh, share, I wanted to come to my face to really um, bring my own experience of growing up and to help others who are on their journey themselves, uh, those others with craniofacial differences. So, can you tell me about some of the programs and services offered by my face? Yes. So my faith um, has been around for 70 years, and it is a nonprofit to help children and adults with craniofacial differences by providing access to holistic, comprehensive care, education, resources, and support. Uh, so we have uh, we give grants to uh, in give grants out, and our biggest grant we give out is to the uh, MyFace Center for Cranial Facial Care at NYU Langone Health in New York City, uh, and which ensures that individuals and families have access to state-of-the-art personalized team care. Uh, we also provide direct services that meet the day-to-day needs of the cranial facial community, including peer-led support groups. Uh, and I run support groups for adolescents, parents, and adults with somebody else. Uh, we also deliver craniofacial newborn care kits, um, and we have different craniofacial centers around the country that we give them to. So if you are a, a mom who's just had a baby with craniofacial difference, this kit has everything uh, this baby will need for the first four weeks of their life, uh, or that the parents will need to, um, for their child. Uh, we also have complimentary flights and housing for out-of-town families seeking treatment in New York City, and we do uh, focus a lot on education, so we do topic-specific webinars, workshops, and have lots of online resources. Uh, really to raise critical public awareness about craniofacial differences. And then um, the thing that I uh, love that we have is the My Face Wonder Project, which is an anti-bullying uh, program to teach children about um, choosing kind, being an upstander about differences. And one of the things that I do is go into school sharing my story about growing up with a facial difference and the story of one of our, my face kids um, to really um, let them understand that how the importance of choosing kind and being an upstander, not a bystander. So, for the yeah. bullying program, uh, can you tell me a little bit about 
some of how it's impacted the children you've gone to speak to. Yeah, so the impact has been pretty amazing. Uh, I have spoken at uh, over 140 schools in the last few years, and even in this year in the virtual world, I was able to um, bring uh, reach um, about 10,000 students just this year alone. So overall, I've reached about over 30,000 students. But it's pretty amazing to see the impact. Uh, specifically, uh, there's a couple of stories that I love. One is uh, a couple of years ago, speaking um, at a school, and one of the students raised his and he was all excited um, because when I shared that I wear hearing aid in my left ear, he raised his hand and shared that he had double hearing aids and how he had never met anybody who had a hearing aid like he did. So uh, I think that was one story. The other, my other favorite story is uh, when I spoke at a school a few years ago, um, maybe three, four years ago, uh, a student, and I was talking about being an upstander and how I wish I had upstanders in my life growing up, someone who stood up for me, and he raised his hand and he cheerfully said that um, he had just witnessed the week before someone taking on another child and how he did not stand up for that child and that he um, regrets that decision and that going forward he was going to do that and be more aware of being that person who stands up for somebody. So uh, it's definitely, I think, having an impact in ways that I can't imagine. And uh, we've been hearing the story after story about what, uh, how it's been impacting these kids, so these students. So I'm curious. Are there any myths or stereotypes about craniofacial differences that... Uh my face works to clear up? Yes, uh, I think that uh, a couple of things. One is I think that there's a misconception, a misperception about the fact that if you have a craniofacial difference, you're not smart, you're not capable, and I think, and especially that you need uh, special ed or special and it's not always the case and I think that um, we need to do a better job of educating not just um, the students which we do but also to educate the um, teachers and the community uh, the, at large because I do think and I do I remember even when I was growing up sometimes people would instead of talking directly to me, they would talk to my mom or dad uh, and thinking that I maybe wouldn't understand them or hear them or whatever that was. So I do think that is something that I um, have noticed and I think uh, needs to be more brought to the forefront and uh, there needs to be education around that as well. I'd like to thank you for taking the time out to do this, but if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. Mm -hmm. Andy Link will be right back after these commercial messages, so stay tuned. So you're hanging with your inner circle. Maybe you're making cocktails. Maybe you're packing bowls. Even while we're distancing, it's important to remember, alcohol and cannabis each mess with your driving skills. 
Be cool. Make sure you and your friends get home safe. Take a cab if you need to. A few bucks could save a life. And we can do it again next weekend. A message from Arrive Alive, Drive Sober. Link sponsored by the Italian-Canadian Handy Capable Association, an organization that provides recreational and athletic opportunities for individuals with disabilities in Windsor-Essex. For more information, check out ICHA on Facebook. I'm your host, Cam Wells. Earlier in our show, Tina Finelli and Jess Lewis told us a little bit about the Paramazing Women's Circle. And Dina Zuckerberg told us a little bit about my face. In this segment of our show, Josie Donato will be sharing a little bit about her insights on disability relationships. So, when it comes to disability relationships, as someone who has some experience in that arena, what are some of the things you consider going in? Um, for me, uh... Not only from a disability perspective, but obviously, um, but also from a mental health perspective, uh, I need somebody who's very understanding. Um, not so I look for um, somebody who I who I feel at the time. This is not always the case further on, but um, at the time, who is very understanding and um, honestly just just not so harsh because I because me I need somebody who's going to be understanding of the fact of what I can and cannot do I'm going to need somebody that's going to be understanding of what I they know what I can do and what I can I can figure out in my own way how to do things, like, you know what I mean? Um, I need somebody who's going to support me, like, at the end of the day, in both ways, right? They have to understand what I can do and what I can't do, and how I'm going to meet in the middle somewhere. So. Um, but for me, it's just, I, I feel like um, disability and and relationships, there's a lot, I mean, obviously in a normal uh, able-bodied relationship, there's trust and vulnerability and all those things, but there's, there has to be, but there has to be trust and vulnerability and a bunch of other things for people with disabilities because you may need to rely on your significant other more than um, able-bodied partners will. You, um, just from a physical perspective, you may need to rely on them a little bit when it comes to mental health perspective. I mean, hopefully, I know I've done the work mental health-wise, or, I, you know, I'm pretty self-sufficient in that way, but sometimes, you know, just a little bit of extra support and care is needed in that way as well. So, so those are things that I look for. 
being able to communicate your needs and wants, obviously that's general for everybody, but like my needs may be different than the able-bodied needs, right? So again, kind of reiterating, reiterating what I've already said. To make that initial communication, to first meet someone and break the ice when it comes to uh, starting up a relationship. I'm pretty open myself personally, like I'm I know what I want and things like that, so I'm pretty upfront and forward with that. But yes, I can see how disability could affect I used to be that way. I learned how not to be um, that way and just communicate my needs because that's what I that's what I need. Like it is just what it is. For my own um, for my own well being, I just need to be able to communicate what I need. Um, and if you don't like it, then that's okay. And if you can handle it, then sure. Um, but I used to be the way of not wanting to disclose, but, you know, waiting a little bit to tell anybody because I didn't want to scare them off or not being as open with it that I should have been just because I, you know, I stepped into the dating pool and I didn't know how it would be received. That I had a disability. Um, now, from when I started dating to now, I've you know, I've accomplished a lot with myself personally. I have a, a stable income, career, like all those things did play a, a factor for me because I got myself in a position where I, I could see myself being in a, you know, being in a relationship and not having to, and being confident in myself and not having to worry or feel like if you don't like me, then that's fine. If you do, then that's great. But it's not really um, something that I worry about anymore. But it, it was something that I used to worry about. Because, again, like I wasn't sure how it was going to be received. Do you think when you care about someone enough... Uh You'll accept them for all that they are, in terms of abilities, personality, all that sort of thing. In relationships, sometimes, uh, when you care enough about a person, tends to override any of those myths or stereotypes that, uh, that might tend to play in where a disability is concerned. Well, I mean, that's, you know, that's the hope, is is that you find somebody who overrides all those things that as somebody with a disability may worry about at some point or another, right? So, so what's bad? Um, no, what? Yeah, if you do care about somebody enough, if you're willing to put in the work and getting to know them, and again, like I said earlier, um, I feel like Disability relationships are more are more of a vulnerability thing. I mean, I still think we like my generation in in relationships is very weird, and there's so many things that we have to, you know, we're told as a society that if you're if you're too much of one way, if you're too clingy, if you're too independent, then there's like so much gray area in between when it comes to relationships in this generation um, in general. So vulnerabilities tends to be 
hard thing for pretty much anyone regardless, but I, I do believe that disability, for somebody who's going to, and I don't want to, you know, say that, take on somebody who has a disability because I'm very self-sufficient in my own way, but for somebody who's going to be accepting and want to pursue a relationship with me, they do have to realize that there's certain, again, there's certain things that I can't do, there are certain things that I will um, figure out ways to accomplish. There, you know, there are certain things that I'm going to help with doing. But that, again, in a way, that's something that just in general uh, with relationships, it's all about compromise. So it's figuring out the balance between the two individuals. Like, thank in you. In general. Well, I'd like to thank you for taking the time out to do this, but if you can stay on the line for a sec, that'd be great. Sure. Josie's absolutely right, my friends. When it comes to disability relationships, disability is not the only factor. Our temptation might be, as a people, to accept whatever scraps of attention a person might be willing to give us. But no one should see themselves as less as a result of their condition. We are still strong, intelligent people with something to contribute. Gifts to bring to a relationship. This has been HandyLink. I'm your host, Cam Wells, reminding you we're all equal. So get on out there and have yourselves a good one. Something tells me you've earned it, folks. We'll see you next week.